Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 479th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at onceametro.com and the rest of the SB Nation family of soccer websites. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. I would like to, right off the bat, I want to thank uh, a very certain some person, uh, someone who has uh, emailed me, and I just want to get their names out, and I just want to uh, make sure I pronounce it correctly. I hope I have, um, as I go through my email here, a Mr. Anju. Anuj, I have to, <laughs> I've got to make sure I pronounce this correctly if I can. I really want to uh, give this person, um, you know, uh, a lot of credit here uh, for uh, considering uh, yours truly. Uh, and it is Anuj Agarwal, Agarwal, A N U J A J A R W A L. Um, this person is from a, a website called Feedspot.com. He and his team on Feedspot.com has uh, compiled top 30 podcasts dedicated to Major League Soccer, uh, or at least dedicating themselves to Major League Soccer, and he has included my show uh, in that top 30 MLS podcast level. Uh, currently, I am ranked 20th, and I'm hoping everyone, uh, when you get to the main show page for this one, for this episode, please click the link. When you click the show page for number 479, please click the link that I posted on it so that you can take a look and see where it is. Uh, for those of you that want to ask, well, what's the address? It is uh, blog.feedspot.com forward slash MLS underscore podcasts under, uh, slash. So it's a forward slash. Once again, blog spot, excuse me, blog.feedspot.com dot com forward slash mls mls underscore podcasts forward slash and it is absolutely imperative for all of you to go out there and to please please look up my show now i'm with a huge list of other mls podcasts and you know they do a great job of covering the league whether it's from the United States, if it's also from Canada, uh, and anywhere else that covers Major League Soccer, even in the United Kingdom, we have the MLS UK guys. So for those of you wondering who's on this list, well, obviously the Extra Time guys at MLS's New York headquarters, um, they're on there. This one called the MLS The Call Up, and that's another one uh, from, the, uh, from the league office, and that, of course, has Jillian Sakovitz in it. Uh, who is uh, the uh, uh, sideline reporter for Atlanta United on Fox Sports South, as well as Susanna Collins uh, from the league as well. Uh, Soccer Today from Sports Podcasting Network. My friends, Dwayne Rollins, Kevin Laramay over in Canada. Uh, Kev- Kevin is in Quebec province in, Mon- near in, in uh, Montreal. And, of course, Dwayne Rollins in Ontario province in Toronto. And, of course, they have a Canadian perspective of things. They do a great job as well. MLS Assist, it's a tactical analysis of MLS. They're involved. Total Soccer Show, of course. 
those guys, they do a great job as well uh, covering the league and soccer as a whole. The Cooligans are in this as well. Uh, MLS Multiplex podcast. Also, the Beautiful Game Network with tons of MLS podcasts on it. MLS Aces podcast. Um, people that uh, uh, I, I don't even know who these people are, obviously. But, you know, I want to give them a shout out because, you know, we work hard to cover the league as much as possible, to give everyone that opportunity to go out, listen to different different opinions. You know, obviously, I would love for you to listen to my opinion. If you like to hear my opinions of the situation, the truth is there are other people with other opinions on it, on the, on the league and everywhere else. I just try to make sure that uh, you guys love the content that I give you, and I hope you keep on going. Now, once again, the MLS UK show is out there as well, the uh, 9607 MLS pod uh, over in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, MLS Now is uh, a podcast as well, and there's also uh, stories that made MLS based in Atlanta, Georgia. That's so MLS. Uh, MLS Gone Wild, don't know anything about that, but they're based in Columbus. Uh, The Designated Player Podcast. Um, based in, where is this one based in? Uh, trying to find it, but I can't find it at the moment, but that's okay. Uh, the Supporters Pod, uh, another one, the Scuffed Podcast. There's also Send Them Off MLS Podcast. Uh, Sons of a Pitch, now, that, that's a, not a bad name. I like that, actually, from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, the Soccer Thread Podcast. MLS Fantasy Insider. There's the Right-Footed Center Back podcast based in Houston, Texas. Pitch Pass, I've heard of them before, and based in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. There's the Play-By-Players podcast. That's in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, many others, of course, uh, going through all of this. And, uh, you know, it's once again uh, great, great shows that people, you know, uh, should be grateful enough that they get mentioned on uh, this list here in the feed spot. Now, once again, like I said, I am not here to toot my own horn, just a little bit maybe, just a tiny bit. I wouldn't mind it uh, tooting my own horn just a little bit. But once again, if you can help me get at least you know to the next level, which would be maybe the top 10 on this uh, top 30 MLS podcast list, and this is to follow in 2020, of course, Major League Soccer podcasts, this would be, in my opinion, the greatest thing you could ever do for me. So please tell your friends, do not just listen to the podcast that they normally listen to, but you can listen to mine. Why not? I give you great coverage. I discuss anything and everything. I discuss everything in American soccer, not just in Major League Soccer, but, of course, the United Soccer Leagues and the Championship League, the League One, uh, U.S. Open Cup, and hopefully in 2021 we will get the U.S. Open Cup back on track and ready to go. Hopefully we can finish the CONCACAF Champions League 2020 edition. Uh, if we can uh, you know, have these teams uh, maybe play in December in a bubble, which it looks like it might be it, uh, and other things going forward, and we'll see what happens uh, going down the road. Um, I want to give a shout-out to James Sharman from One Soccer in Canada, having on Victor Montagliani, the president of CONCACAF. Of course, Victor Montagliani is a Canadian who is running the Confederation right now. They have already pulled out their schedule uh, for the first round of qualifying. But at the moment, it looks like first round of qualifying might be delayed and that would be the opening matches in October which would mean that there will probably be some form of politicking going on between CONCACAF and FIFA due to the coronavirus situation because as we all know in uh, some countries like in Canada the coronavirus has been maintained at a very safe level, meaning there's barely any coronavirus in the U.S. border uh, going into Canada or going out of Canada into the United States has been closed. So no one is visiting Canada 
from the United States or probably from any other nation or Caribbean island uh, outside of Canada. So at the moment, there's issues because you need these countries, especially in the north zone and the central zone, uh, to you know travel to face these nations in a certain spot. So what does that mean? Well, it means that, unfortunately, at the moment, it sounds like the October dates are going to be postponed and they're going to be moved ahead. When will it be? It sounds like they might have to move the October dates into November and those uh, November games somewhere, I would have to say, either next year. If possible, I wouldn't mind it if they play them in December, but then again, in Canada, it gets super cold with the winter, and we don't know what's going to happen there. But here's the thing that I think that should be. I think what they should really do, CONCACAF, uh, contact the confederation – excuse me, contact the, uh, the FAs of those nations in the Caribbean, Central America, and of course can, the Canadian Soccer Association to have it being played in a bubble and ask FIFA because you want to get these first round games over and done with to maybe move them into December and just have it all be played down in, I would say, back into the Walt Disney World complex. The offices and the headquarters of CONCACAF are based in Miami, downtown Miami, Florida, not far away from the Brightline uh, train station. I still feel that if you can do a bubble in a certain position, in a certain area of this country, and let it all be neutral site, I, I think that would be the best thing ever. And then hopefully by March of 2021, we will have these second-round matches, goal aggregate, in the local nations. Because this CONCACAF World Cup qualifying is precious. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, and just World Cup qualifying on its own, we have seen what this virus has done, what it has forced the world's game to do, to shut down, reschedule, new dates, new venues, new everything, new anything. We, we have to find a way to get World Cup qualifying going because time is of the essence. Everything is going to be condensed. Everything is going to be shoved into one quick swoop. World Cup qualifying right now in Qatar for 2022 is in jeopardy. Big time jeopardy. Because you cannot excuse nations just because of a coronavirus situation. The hope and the prayer is that there will be a vaccine created. There will be a vaccine ready to go. And I really do hope, I really, really do hope that we have someone ready to go. We have someone ready to go. We have someone ready to move forward. And at the same time, everything will be absolutely spot on and ready to have World Cup qualifying advance. Because what we need right now, at this moment in time, what we need right now is some form of normality. We need to make sure that everything goes the right way and that we need to find that avenue to find that avenue to move forward, get these matches ready to go, let them start rolling. We know that Africa and Asia have already completed first rounds. Asia is still in the middle of their second round. That needs to be completed. We need Africa to start their second round of qualifying matches. We need a draw in UEFA. CONCACAF needs to go. We need Oceania. To also get rolling, we need Conmebol, South America, to start their World Cup qualifying campaign, and that will be sometime in October. The World Cup is almost here, folks. World Cup qualifying is almost done, but 
we're still stuck in the middle. It's very important to get these matches done. It's very important to get these games taken care of. It's very important that we go out, we have some fun, and that we make sure that the nations qualify for their spots will happen, will go forward, and that everything, everything will be just fine and dandy, and let's hope that everything will go well tonight. I shouldn't say tonight, but I really do hope. I really do hope that we can get World Cup qualifying going, and all I can say is, is that these situations need to get rolling, need to get going. We have to make sure. We have to make sure. That all of this is going to get underway and that we can get forward and move forward and have some fun. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to have this gentleman on with me tonight as we talk about him now being a part of the MLS family. Of course, he is the television play-by-play voice of the expansion of MLS aside, Nashville SC, the one and only Mr. Tony Husband joins me tonight to talk about his career and uh, a new venture, shall we say, in the on the other side of the pond, Mr. Husband. Welcome to the show. Good evening, and how are you, sir? Thank you for a fantastic introduction, Daniel. That's so kind of you, and it's great to be with you. Well, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, for someone like yourself, who has probably called anything and everything in, in football, whether it be in England, uh, you know, World Cup, international tournaments, what has been uh, a big thing for you to be not just to call I would say a World Cup or a or maybe European Championship but uh, can you compare that to coming over to the United States and cover a MLS side Well Daniel the thing for me is that I grew up in the UK uh, as a very very young boy in the kind of 1980s where we had our our kind of great voices of soccer play by play uh, the likes of our John Motsons, our Barry Davis, our Brian Moores. Um, but at that time, um, a new channel in the UK started screening the NFL. And I really got into the, the kind of glitz and glamour, the polished production style of, of American sport on television. Um, and so rather unusually, really, for, for my peers at that age, um, as well as listening to some of those great English voices and following soccer, um, I was also listening to Pat Summerall and Al Michaels and, and Dick Enberg and some of the great names and, and, and watching how, you know, how kind of just, just um, you know, up in lights uh, American sports broadcasting was. And I suppose it just lit a kind of interest in, in a fire inside me that thought, you know what, wouldn't that be amazing to do, you know, one day. And so, you know, I was very fortunate to, to cover Premier League soccer and some European soccer and things like that down the mm-hmm. years and, and, you know, privileged to work with a great broadcaster like the, the BBC for so long. Um, but I always had this, uh, this kind of yearning to, you know, if the right moment came along, the right opportunity came along, I could, you know, come over the pond uh, and just, you know, dip my toe into it and see what it's like. So just from your perspective, what's Nashville been like for you? How has the community uh, been for you so far coming over from the U.K. and uh, trying your luck at uh, barbecue, country music, and uh, <laughs> the Tennessee Titans just down the road? <laughs> well, do you know what? As, as I talk to you now, Daniel, I, I can look across from my apartment and I can see um, Nissan Stadium, which is very convenient for me as a commute to Nashville matches. Um, but also, yeah, very exciting, you know, with, with the NFL team obviously being, you know, the home team there as well. Um, they said Nashville would be a place that would blow me away and it would be somewhere where you would really experience a true southern charm welcome. And, and it had not disappointed. My wife and I had a, a delayed uh, arrival here because of uh, all of the, the effects of COVID-19 mm-hmm. and the pandemic and travel and all those kind of things. So we got here in June. 
I think as of tomorrow, we will have been um, on uh, this side of the water for, for three months. And it's been three fantastic months, despite all the challenges that obviously we're all facing in the world right now. Um, we have got to sample some of the things, uh, some, of the, some of the great food that's on offer, some of the great hospitality, the friendliness of the, the people over here in Tennessee. Fantastic. And I can't speak highly enough as well of the club. You know, it, it's been a, a, a year one for this club. So many challenges have been thrown at it. Um, and I was just, a, you know, another little small one. It was like, oh, we've got to get this guy over from the UK. Uh, and it proved a little bit more difficult due to world events than, than any of us would have thought. So the support from, you know, from the ownership down to the CEO, Ian Air, uh, all the way down, you know, has been fantastic. And, um, you know, we're just really enjoying it. Yes, you know, day to day, there are some things we're still looking forward to doing. We're still looking forward at some stage when it's, a, you know, things to calm down a bit, you know, to hit some of those Broadway honky-tonks and watch some live music and things like that. But, you know, we're having to be patient at the moment. Uh, and, uh, and let's just hope that um, the health picture continues and, you know, improves. And then we can enjoy that as time goes on. I know it must be tough uh, going to Nissan Stadium right now and uh, not having supporters in there. I mean, the, the home opener uh, for their first MLS match, the support's been massive. I loved watching that sea of yellowish gold all over Nissan Stadium. Even though it was a loss to Atlanta United, still, though, you could tell how much love for the game that Nashville has over there. That's right, and it's interesting because I, I picked that up here. You know, everyone said to me that Nashville will just get behind, you know, a sporting team. If it's a new team, if it's something for Nashville to be proud about and to get behind, that they absolutely will do that. You know, they did that with the, with the Preds and ice hockey. You know, this wasn't a, a hockey hotbed many years ago, and then the Preds came in, and, and now they're massive in this city, as are, of course, the, the Titans. You know, and as I make my way around the, the you know the, the city of Nashville and parts of Tennessee, you know, when I tell people, I tell a taxi driver, oh, I've come over here to do this, you know, the the, the interest is there, the passion is there. They want to learn as well. A lot of them, you know, they won't know soccer that well in some cases, but boy, do they want to learn about it and they want to get behind their team and they want Nashville to win. And so, yeah, it's frustrating at the moment. You know, we've got these home games. Um, there's nobody there at the moment. Um, you know, and that's the right decision, you know, for health and safety until we get to a point where you know, it's right to open the gates again. Um, but, boy, I cannot wait until we, you know, we can get some supporters in. And, and, you know, I think it'll be kind of a, another launch pad, you know, for the club. It had that amazing night at the end of February. I, I watched that under a blanket on my sofa in the U.K. while I was waiting for paperwork to come through and things. And, you know, it felt to me like a bit of a soccer Super Bowl that night. Uh, it was two o'clock in the morning, my time in the UK when I was watching that game and everything was fantastic about it other than the result, of course. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like we'll have another launch night like that, though, you know, w when the world, fingers crossed, you know, changes and we can get back to something, you know, back to near normality. Absolutely. And I can't wait for that day to come. Talk about your uh, crew. Obviously, you have Jamie Watts. Watson as your analyst. You have Lori Lindsay, uh, excuse me, Lori Lindsay uh, down the field. How have they been uh, as an analyst and a sideline reporter? And do you also talk to your uh, cohorts in the radio booth as well? Yeah, that's right. Everybody's been fantastically helpful to me because, of course, I've had to really immerse myself, uh, you know, into the storylines of Major League Soccer, a league that I, I followed for, for many, many years. But of course, when you're, you're concentrating on, you know, in my case, you know, the EPL, the championship and European soccer and things like that, you know, you're not always able to, to spend as much time following the, all the ins and outs, all the little stories or all the anecdotes um, that Jamie and Laurie and uh, our radio team of John Freeman and Wes Bowling have had as well. Um, they've all been a fantastic help. And I tell you what, chemistry is so important, as you know, you know, when you go into a new booth, and we did some things while I was still in the UK during, during the kind of the, the height of the lockdown, as it were, where uh, our broadcast uh, chief set us up on some Zoom calls. And we called some games from the, the beginning of this season, one or two from last season as well. And we had Jamie here in Nashville. Uh, I was in rural Hampshire in southern England. And uh, Laurie was in Iowa, I believe. And we connected together and we mm -hmm. called these games in a very kind of rudimentary way uh, across a Zoom call. Uh, I was about five seconds behind what they were seeing and all that. But you know what? As we've come on air now and started doing our broadcasts, 
you know, that those sessions have really, really proved their worth because we we felt already like we had that chemistry. We understand each other. You know, we, we know what the other is like, what kind of style mm-hmm. we all have. Uh, and that has really held us in good stead, I think. Um, but, you know, obviously Laurie is still joining us now on our broadcast remotely. Can't wait for the day where she's able to add that extra insight from down on, on the sideline. And uh, Jamie, are uh, up in the booth in this kind of rather strange kind of, you know, separated environment where we're about 10 feet apart on one side of the booth from the other. Yeah, it's a little strange when probably Jamie has too much garlic in his dinner. No, I'm only kidding. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. Let's obviously, you know, th- these are the things that must be done. Unfortunately, but hopefully we'll have a a cure ready to go. We just have to remain patient. If I can um, ask you this, uh, obviously there are other English broadcasters that are calling MLS matches. There's Richard Fleming with uh, Altitude in Colorado for the Rapids. Uh, there's Callum Williams. With the Fox Sports North and Minnesota United FC, of course, there's uh, others at ESPN, uh, maybe a few over at Fox Sports in the United States. Have you called them up uh, for advice? Have you asked them for their opinions of what's it like to broadcast and work in the United States at all? Yes, I have. I mean, you mentioned somebody there in Richard Fleming at Altitude uh, up in Colorado. And, and Richard and I go way back because uh, when I was a, a very, very raw 21-year-old graduate from university, I'd just done my journalism degree. I got my first job, um, a short-term contract at the BBC. And I, I walked in on kind of my first day and they said, well, uh, you're going to be doing sports for a while. Um, Go and go and join this guy and go down to Bournemouth and um, and watch how he does some interviews with the players. Um, and he was interviewing a very young Eddie Howe and people like that. And um, and that guy was Richard Fleming. And so I've known Richard for you know for a long time now. Um, we've stayed in touch in the years since he moved to the United States. We also worked together at BBC World Service in London uh, a few years ago as well. And um, he, mm-hmm. he has always uh, always been a great great. Uh, sage, you know, for the information and also just for, just for staying in contact. Callum as well, who I, I've known, I didn't know him as well, but, you know, we've communicated. And then um, John Champion at ESPN. I've known John many, many years. I mean, I've been, it's one of those things in this business where you, you kind of get to know people and you can say, oh, I, was, I, I saw John last week in, uh, in Milan. And then the next week I saw him uh, at St. Mary's in Southampton, you know. Um, and John has been hugely influential in, in helping me out. Um, I definitely owe John a couple of beers or two for, for the advice and support he's given me. Um, so, uh, yeah, they've, they've been excellent. But also, I must just say that, you know, many of the American broadcasters as well, the homegrown broadcasters over here, who I've got huge respect for, having watched so many games on ESPN Plus over the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know, there's some great broadcasting going on of soccer over here. You know, it has come on probably leaps and bounds from where it began in, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, delighted to be part of it and, and, and enjoying every minute of it. I'm glad you are. And, uh, you know, I've been able to watch some of the streams uh, for Nashville matches. You and Jamie and Lori have done a fantastic job uh, calling the matches, doing the games. It's just been uh, great. Uh, now for your expertise with the club. Uh, off to a bad start, obviously, in the uh, the first two regular season matches before of course, this uh, this terrible coronavirus started, and of course, they were uh, expelled from the uh, MLS's back tournament because of the situation that we are all in. But since then, they've been on a roll. What do you think had Gary Smith has done uh, to put Nashville SC into a good position so far in the table? Do you know what? I think it's experience and organization, and I think you know mm-hmm. it was a difficult start. Um, first two games were, you know, that was not an easy schedule to, to face Atlanta opening night, then, then to go to Portland, where they you know, were narrowly beaten. Um, but I think what Gary Smith has done in the intervening time is, you know, with the help of Mike Jacobs, the general manager, they've built one of the most formidable defensive units in, in all of MLS. Um, that back unit is, is performing excellently and has done so consistently through, throughout the season. Another shutout last night against you know, Miami. They've got the, the great experience of Annabelle Godoy and Dax McCarthy in front of them, who, again, I, th- I think most teams in the league would look at and say, you know what, yeah, we, we, we wouldn't mind having that pairing. You know, they've been excellent. Now, the issue since day one that Gary Smith has been quite open about has been 
you know, where are we going to get the goals from? Where will the potency in attack come? Um, and, and that is still, that's still the challenge. You know, now, I think he would be concerned if the team was not creating the chances. And I think in maybe some of the early games, there weren't that many chances being created. And if you don't create chances, we're never going to score goals. What we're seeing now, progressively, as the games go on, is the team is creating those chances. Uh, they've got to finish them, though. And they know that. You know, Dan Lovitz will have been reflecting today on the opportunity he had late, late in the game in Miami and knowing that you know, he will know. He, you know, he, he should have and, and would have wanted to score you know, with a great opportunity with 10 minutes to go. But this has been, a, you know, a, a, I think, a pretty good return. Five away trips in their return to play. Uh, nine points from seven games. Um, those away trips have all been uh, in and out in a day. Um, in the circumstances, I, I think it's, it's pretty solid. And I think if they can just continue to progress up front and start to put one or two of those pieces together, um, they're going to be a team that can knock on the door of the playoffs this year. You know, there, there's a lot of soccer still to be played. Um, and I think, you know, they're not in a bad place. And, and with a little bit of luck here or there, you know, they might have actually had a few more points than they've had. They hit the inside of a post in Dallas in a nil-nil draw. Lovitz misses a late chance last night. You know, you suddenly you pick up a few points there. You're up in the pack. How's Alex Mouille's play been so far since he's uh, been brought over from uh, the New York Red Bulls? I've been impressed with Alex Moyle. I think he's brought a little bit of bite um, to that midfield position. He plays on, out on the left-hand side, generally, of the three behind the striker. Uh, he's come in. Uh, I mean, he was billed for the national audience as a kind of pressing wide player, uh, and he's proving that. Maybe a little unfortunate he didn't get off the mark with his um, mm-hmm. first goal for the club um, struck off. Uh, against Miami for a, a little shove in the back. Um, but he's quickly come in and, and proved a very useful addition to the roster. And I think, Daniel, you know, the, the point is we're, we're going to have a lot of matches between now and the end of the regular season in November, almost certainly, you know, depending on um, what the next phase of the schedule looks like. Uh, and, and everybody's going to have to dig deep into that. No, roster. absolutely. And so bringing Alex, yeah, bringing Alex Wheel in no, you know, was, a, was a, a really good move. No, I bet it was, and uh, you know he'll be missed here in New York. But uh, good for Nashville. You're getting a player that's got plenty of bite, plenty of attack, and savvy down that left flank. And um, all I can say is uh, Nashville so far is up in the upper hand on that one. I guess finally for me, uh, Tony, would be this: What is your favorite barbecue joint in Nashville? And uh, <laughs> you're going to have to make others cry. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, so look. First of all. Dining out is not something I've done a whole lot of since we got to Nashville, just just because we live in a fairly central area of the city, so we we're, 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 you know have to be cautious as to where and, and what we do. Um, but the, the CEO Ian Air, um, when I got here, he said I'll take you out for lunch somewhere, um, and he said uh, meet me at this place. I got I, and I got an invite saying right, you're going to a place called Pegleg Porker, mm-hmm. and um, and that is a true southern barbecue place um and when i met Ian there he said look i brought you here because this is the first place i was bought when i came to nashville and um i got a true introduction into you know proper barbecue food i think it was pulled pork i had that day um some beans on the side there were fries uh, all sorts of things and yeah mm-hmm. it was fantastic food and served served with that southern charm and smile that you know you can't replicate elsewhere it was superb i did also go one other place actually i will mention um, my wife and I headed out in the car one day, about an hour south of Nashville, and we headed to this tiny little railroad town, sweet as anything, called Bellbuckle. Um, and all that was there really was the, the old railroad crossing, um, a strip of antique shops, and then there's one place called the Bellbuckle Cafe. And Sunday lunch in there, I tell you what, what great value, great smiles, great food. Uh, and that was a meet and three as well that day. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to plenty more of those. You will not do uh, have to work hard to convert me to some of the Southern cuisine. Uh, I, you know, I'm rapidly falling in love with it. Okay, let me write this down here. Bell Buckle Yeah, Bell Cafe. Buckle Cafe. Gotcha. Okay, all right. Uh, advice and recommendations from Tony Husband. Nashville expert. You got it. Tony, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it coming on the show. Uh, good luck and continued success broadcasting Nashville SC matches. Uh, enjoy your time in the States, and hopefully we can uh, 
See you on the road here in the New York City area, and I'll take you to somewhere some. I'll take you somewhere nice here in New York City if you ever come over. Love New York City, Daniel. So uh, we'll be taking you up on that invite for sure. And you know, thanks so much for having me on. And um, you know, let's uh, let's all keep our fingers crossed that we have a you know successful end of the season for everybody in MLS because it's a big year. It's been a tough year, um, but uh, we're all moving in the same direction and pulling together. Absolutely. Have a good night and take care. And please stay safe with you and your wife. Will do. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. That's Tony Husband, play-by-play voice of Nashville SC. As, uh, you know, he's enjoying his time here in the States, here in Nashville. Bell Buckle Cafe, Bell Buckle, Tennessee. You got it. All right. I'm going to give it a shot when I get down to to Nashville. I'm going to give that a shot. So we'll have to wait and see. But other than that, uh looks like he's having a fun time in Nashville. And I'm glad I was able to come on the show tonight. And I want to thank the club uh, for uh, handling that uh, with me. I want to thank <clears throat> Mr. Um, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Christina Milo Belda uh, for helping me out with that. And uh, who's the uh, with Nashville SC. And I was very glad to have her. Uh, helped me out with the Tony Husband interview today. Uh, now let's move on forward to the CONCACAF Gold Cup for 2021. There is a brand new situation involving the 2021 CONCACAF Gold Cup for next year. And so far, I really like what I'm seeing here. I have a little issue with one thing, but that we'll get to in just a moment. There will be a preliminary round for nations to qualify for three spots for the CONCACAF Gold Cup for 2021 in July. Group stage will begin July 10th, and the knockout phase will also be uh, involved as well uh, from July 10th, uh, August 1st, probably past August 1st. But um, we are seeing right now advancements of the CONCACAF Gold Cup. First things first, the first ever draw to take place will be this coming September 28th, which will be a Monday uh, this year. So the draw for not only the preliminary round, but also for the group stages, uh, those nations will be involved as well. Um, Apparently, new preliminary round, 12 teams to compete for three remaining uh, group stage places. Enhanced knockout round, top-seeded teams can meet before the final. So that's even better. But here's the one problem I'm having right now. And once again, I thought we were not going to have any more guest teams coming over into CONCACAF for the Gold Cup. Apparently, there will be a guest team to participate, and that will be the Asian Cup champions in Qatar, they will be a part of the 2021 CONCACAF Gold Cup. I just feel this is uh, something that CONCACAF, I thought, was going to get rid of, get away from, don't bother with anymore. Conmebol Bowl has no choice but to have guest teams because there's only 10 South American nations in their confederation, and that's why they always have two nations that are invited so they can have three groups of four, and unfortunately, uh, you know, for them, they have to have guest teams. Unfortunately, now I think Concacaf, while it's two steps forward, it's a step back because now we're going to have to have a guest team come in uh, for one of those spots in the fourth position in the four groups of four. I just feel once again that that's a mistake by CONCACAF. I I truly believe they should not be inviting any more teams because our confederation is starting to get a bit stronger. I really believe that it has to be done that way. It has to be done uh, that specific way. Why? Because I feel that this confederation is improving. I think we've seen those nations improve that were in the last Gold Cup tournament that have been dangerous, like Carasau. We have to give these nations an opportunity to grow and to allow them to blossom 
in not only just, of course, the CONCACAF Nations League, which is part of World Cup, uh, excuse me, part of Gold Cup qualifying, as well as stand, you know, the um, the rankings for CONCACAF for World Cup qualifying. This is the situation that I believe we need to continue on to say no more guest teams, period, in CONCACAF. It should have. It, it ended a while ago. Why did it get brought back? I don't know. But one thing is for sure. I believe that this was the wrong thing to do. And all I can say is, is that it's a situation that has to be resolved. We cannot bring back any guest teams into the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Um, I'm not saying it waters it down or ruins it. I just feel like it's a waste of time, and we should just remain the way it is. Here are, in the four groups of four, 16 teams that will be in the Gold Cup group stage. And so far, the top 12 teams representing CONCACAF that will go straight to the group stage will be who have qualified for the Gold Cup. They've already qualified for the Gold Cup, as I should say. Uh, Canada, Costa Rica, Curaçao, El Salvador, Grenada, Honduras, Jamaica, Martinique, Mexico, Panama, Suriname, and the United States. That's 12, and Qatar makes it 13. Now, for those nations that are qualifying for the 2021 Gold Cup, for those three spots, now once again, these nations that are going through qualifying, based on their performances in the 2019 and 20 CONCACAF Nations League, 12 teams will compete in the preliminary round, which will be the Bahamas, Barbados, Bermuda, Cuba, French Guiana, Guadeloupe, Guatemala, Guyana, Haiti, Montserrat, St. Vincent, and the Grenadines, as well as Trinidad and Tobago. Now, once again, these nations performed in their respective groups in the CONCACAF Nations League. Bahamas, Barbados, Guadeloupe, and Guatemala qualified for the preliminary round as group winners from League C in the CONCACAF Nations League. French Guiana, Guyana, Montserrat, St. Vincent Grenadines also qualified as the second-place teams from their respective groups in League B, while Bermuda, Cuba, Haiti, and Trinidad and Tobago qualified as third-place finishers in League A, which means that for the CONCACAF Nations League, as we all know, this coming March, the semifinals and the final will be played by those top four nations, of course, Mexico is one, the United States is the other, and then there's also Honduras and Costa Rica. So, I mean, we're seeing right now great times, great moments, and once again, the preliminary schedule for these nations that qualified through CONCACAF Nations League in their respective leagues and the positions that they got to, the, preliminary, the preliminaries are scheduled to be played on... July 2nd through the 6th, using direct elimination format in a centralized location in the United States. <coughs> Pardon me. So basically what we're all talking about now is, as we take a look at the format here, you're going to see whoever gets drawn in the first matchup, in the first round of the preliminary, in qualifying, they'll take on the teams that will be placed in the sixth position, in the sixth game. That winner will face each other in the next round. And so far, the, win the teams that will be placed in the second matchup will take on teams, I believe, in the fifth. And then teams that are placed in the third matchup will be facing against teams in the fourth. And then those round one winners will face each other in the second round. And then the winners of the second round will automatically go to the group stage after the draw has been done in CONCACAF for 2021 Gold Cup. And then we move on 
of course, to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final. This is exciting, and this is wonderful. And finally, CONCACAF has to grow up someday. And there are times that CONCACAF doesn't grow up. I've already ranted about that with, of course, their World Cup qualifying draw that uh, they seem to have gotten to uh, uh, fix the, uh, the video for the states because, you know, that was important to do. That was very important to do. But what are you going to do? I don't run the Confederation. Confederation runs itself. Again and again and again. But once again, all I can say is is that we had to have a real group draw. We had to have a draw for the CONCACAF Gold Cup. It, it just got comical. It got silly. It just got foolish watching CONCACAF just put up groups because how they perceived it should be. That's not what you're supposed to do. Once again, look at South America. Look at South America. Look at Conmebol. They have three groups of four, and yet they still do a draw. They still have three groups of four, and they still do a draw. This is what I keep talking about. This is what I keep saying. If you have a nation or at least a confederation like Kamibol that's been transparent, and I bet there's still some shenanigans going on, but I'm not worried about them right now unless it's something huge. But all I'm saying is, is that if you have a situation where Kamibol will do the draw, but they'll pick who goes into what group – you know, that's blasphemy right there. If UEFA did it, did that, that's also blasphemy right there because you know that they want to make sure that it's a fair tournament, that the draw is fair. I know they want to have a USA-Mexico final, but the truth is, is that you must allow it to happen naturally. And if they have to meet in the quarterfinals, so be it. If they have to meet in the semifinals, so be it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, that's what you want to have in the final, USA versus Mexico. I understand all that. But still, though, it's a situation where once again, once again, CONCACAF cannot just point the finger at which team qualifies for the Gold Cup and say, you know, okay, that team will go in that group with the USA, that team will go in the group with the, you know, uh, Mexico, that team will go in the group with Canada. We're going to pick whoever goes to which group for those North Zone teams and then the top Central American team. No, no. There must be a proper draw. A proper draw. To get these teams in a fair and reasonable way. And this is why I'm happy that CONCACAF has grown up. Because you have to grow up and show that we are not separate from the rest of the world. We are not a hidden or a confederation that does things quietly, secretively, behind the backs, and under the tables. CONCACAF has to grow up. So far, I think they've done a very good job with the exception of, of course, this past World Cup qualification draw for the preliminary rounds and the setup for the final round. Once again, the draw video is still not available in the United States. We must have that available so that all of us can say, you know, we saw the draw. Because that's what this whole thing is about, ladies and gentlemen. This is what this whole thing is all about. You want to have transparency. You're trying to get transparency. 
you are trying to make sure that this is fair, it's on the up and up, and we cannot continue to act like, oh, well, this is what happened. It's not my fault. This is what they were doing. I can't help it. This is what they're known to do. You know, we can't have that. Cannot have that at all. So I really believe, finally, and hopefully the next time there's World Cup qualifying going on in CONCACAF, we all know the United States, Canada, and Mexico will not be involved in that draw. Still, though, everyone should be aware of who's being drawn into what group for the preliminary rounds of World Cup qualifying for the 2026 World Cup, which will be here in North America, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Outside of that, let's go. Let's get it ready. Let us get ready for a big CONCACAF Gold Cup moving forward. Now, finally, um, Red Bull segment, of course, Chris Armas is no longer manager of the New York Red Bulls. He was sacked this past Friday. Bradley Carnell uh, took over as the interim head coach, as Kevin Thelwell is going to start looking for a new manager, uh, if not for this season, for next season. So we'll see what happens there. First things first, for some of you um, that are curious to know what the situation was, and, you know, let me go personally first. I want to go personally first. Normally, you know, we here in the media, we cannot worry about, you know, what happens to people when they get hired, when they get fired. You know, we we have to be fair and impartial and, you know, we got to be right down the middle of things. I want to go personally to what Chris Armas did for me. And for those of you that follow me covering the New York Red Bulls at onceametro.com, as well as my Facebook Live videos, you've heard me talk about Chris Armas glowingly as a head, excuse me, glowingly as a man, as a, as, a, as a person. This man cared about what he wanted to do. This man truly cared of what he wanted to do and put his hard work into making the Red Bulls what they've always been about. Hard work pressing, dominating, looking strong, and getting victories. My, when I announced that my father passed away due to Parkinson's, you know, that was a very tough time in my life. It's been over a year since my father has passed and succumbed to the effects of Parkinson's. There are still days I still cry for him. There are still days I miss him. There are days that I feel like I can't talk to him anymore because he's not here physically. I know he's looking down at me and my mother. I know he's there trying his best to will me to be successful. But it still hurts. It still hurts, and it's been over a year. Being with my mother, my wife, of course, with me as well, um, we were all sitting at the dining room table one night during the week, sitting Shiva, and I had a phone call on my cell phone, and I didn't even recognize the number. I knew it was an area code in, uh, based in Long Island. It was a 516 area code. And I originally was not going to pick up the phone because it's probably the wrong number. My mother was like, no, go pick up the phone. See who it is. And it was Chris. And I picked up the phone. It was Chris Armas who called me and my mother to send his condolences to us for the passing of my father and just to stay strong and, and you know, know that, you should know, you probably know that he loved you and everything. And of course I did. And 
it was great to hear him call me. I, I was not expecting him to call me. I was not expecting him to do anything. And this is nothing against the past managers of the Red Bulls. You know, look, I'm not saying he's different than what Jesse Marsh probably would have done or what Mike Petke would have done or Juan Carlos Osorio or Bruce Arena or Hans Bakke. You know, there's no comparison here. You know, Chris Armas was running the Red Bulls, and he had to do a job, and I understand that. I'm not begging for anyone, you know, to give me a call just to make me feel good. You know, I wasn't expecting this. And Chris Armas, for me, and... All I can say is, is that as a member of the media, I'm, I'm amazed that he did this for me. And with that, I will never, ever forget what he did for me and for my family. I will never, ever speak badly about him as a person because the truth is this is a true mensch. This is a true person. From the heart. And I'm very happy. Very, very happy. That someone took the time from his daily schedule, you know, managing the Red Bulls, and gave me a call to say he's very sorry for what happened in my life. So for Chris Armas as a person... I just want to say thank you to him for making me feel important for him that day and, of course, uh, calling me up when it was a very tragic time in my life that I lost my father. Now on to Mr. Armis. I I think Chris Armis honestly did a good job with with what he had to work with for this year. But at the same time, not being overly critical, maybe he was thrusted into a position where maybe he wasn't ready yet. But at the same time, maybe the New York Red Bulls, as much as I am enjoying watching young players getting an opportunity to go out and perform on the big stage, you need more veterans to help out. And as of right now, there's not enough veterans on the New York Red Bulls to help themselves. And the truth is, the truth is, while the last two results hurt really bad, I would say... The last result against D.C. United, the 1-0 loss, hurt them very badly because they probably should have at least taken a point out of it. They should have had at least maybe a goal or two in that matchup, but it didn't happen. And then, of course, typical Ben Olsen bunker ball against uh, the press. D.C. United found a way to sneak one in and do it late in second half stoppage time, and they took away the three points. I truly believe that this is more Dennis Hamlet than it is Chris Armas. Because once again, if Chris Armas has been doing the job he's been doing, and you're not getting the necessary veterans to come in and help with some of the younger kids to play a little bit better, to be a little bit more attacking, a little more daring, you're going to get what you're going to get on the pitch. As Kaku is trying his best, maybe he needs to be a little bit more helpful as well because I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that maybe he needs someone else to be with him in the midfield and attack or to have someone up top to help him give the ball to him, and then they can give the ball back to him so he can attack. 
See, this is what I see watching DC United games for, you know, with Luciano Acosta. Luciano Acosta cannot do it by himself. He is not a focal point. Wayne Rooney was when he came over. Paul Ariola was also part of that situation. When the DC United had Wayne Rooney, Paul Ariola, and Luciano Acosta up front, that was the situation that Acosta can work with. When Kaku was inserted into the Red Bulls lineup, he could work with Tyler Adams. He could work with Royer. He can work with Etienne Jr., with Bradley Wright Phillips, with Luis Robles. Kaku, by himself, it's not enough. Royer is trying his best, and right now it's not enough. And I'm not blaming Royer. I'm not blaming Kaku. I'm just explaining that these guys need a little more help on the veteran side of things. I know Sean Davis is captain of this club, but how much more can he do? I think at the same time, this coronavirus has hampered this club a lot worse than probably some other clubs are handling it mentally. I think after the first two matches, because they were doing well. They had a great start. They had a three-point victory at home against FC Cincinnati. They, had a, they should have had three points at Salt Lake. Unfortunately, they gave up the late goal to make, it three, to make it 1-1. So it's four points in the first two matches. Then the coronavirus hits. March, the rest of March, April, May, June. And then you get to mid-July for the MLS's back tournament in Disney. And they get off to a great start, 1-0. They should have had more goals. It didn't happen, but they still defeated Atlanta 1-0. You're thinking they're going to have a great game in against the Columbus crew. They had off a good start, and then the crew got them for two goals, and then they died. Cincinnati basically played bunker ball, and then they lost 2-0 in that one, and then the Red Bulls went home. Red Bulls restarted, played very well against New York City FC. Then they go on the road to Philadelphia, and they have a terrible opening 45. They couldn't do anything in the second half, even though they looked a lot better. They got a great draw in New England, but then unfortunately they couldn't capitalize on that. So maybe more of a mental problems for the Red Bulls because of the younger players. At the same time, is Dennis Hamlet rushing the younger players to come up? Did Dennis Hamlet rush having younger players come up? Here's another question. If Josh Sims doesn't ask to move back to England, does he remain on this club and become a a focal point in the attack? Because he really enhanced the club. He really did. We don't know what the problems were behind the scenes with Josh Sims. Maybe he was a little homesick. Maybe he wanted to go back to England. That's fine. That's understandable. But let's just say he it, that wasn't the case. Let's just say for the heck of it, something happened internally with upper management, and that would be with Dennis Hamlet. Maybe something happened. I don't know. It's only speculation. But all I can say is, is that if there was an issue with management or the coaching staff from Sims, then it probably could have been, you know, fixed or taken care of. But he wanted to go back to England, and that's all we can go by right now. Once again, it's a situation where, for the Red Bulls right now, this is officially a rebuilding year. Some will say, you know, well, the club is trying to change things around. If they do, if they do, good. 
Let's see what can happen. Uh, got to give them the time. Got to give them the opportunity to rebuild and see what's going to happen here. And maybe it'll happen quickly. But if it's not, then this is a rebuilding year because we all know that what we have seen in these last two games is not good enough. The performances were decent. The results were dreadful. And so for the New York Red Bulls, they must find that way or a quick way to say, you know what, this is not who we are. We are not rebuilding. We are not trying to rebuild here. We are still going after it. We're still going after a playoff spot. We're still trying to do our best to go out, give it our all, and to show all of you that this is just a blip on the screen, just a little you know, hole in the road. We're going to get out of the hole, and we're going to find a way to go forward, and we are going to do well later on. We promise we will do what we will against these teams because we are going to do our best. And that's all you can ask for. But once again, this is a results-driven business. And if the results are not going the way that it should, well, unfortunately, you're done. And that's what happened to Chris Armas. I know that this is a results-driven business. I've never, ever doubted that in my entire life. Chris Armas right now, uh, he deserves a vacation. He deserves to relax, to be with his family. Right now, it's Bradley Carnell who is taking over for Chris Armas. And unfortunately, it was a loss to the Philadelphia Union by a final of three goals to nil. After that second goal, you knew it was over. You knew that was the end of it. Nothing more was going to come of it. And it's time for the Red Bulls to now, you know, pick up, basically pick up their pants, you know, get onto the training field and try their best to move forward and just take this whole week and relax and to find a way to get three points at a place where they've found early success, uh, excuse me, early success, which is Audi Field. They have not lost in three matches at Audi Field. They've won twice, drawn once, no losses. Let's see what happens moving forward. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a very good night for everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed their Labor Day weekend. I'll talk to everyone next week. I want to thank my guest tonight, Tony Husband, the play-by-play voice of Nashville SC. And thank you, everyone, for listening to me tonight. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. This has been the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I will talk to you all next week. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. So long, everybody. Have a good night. Take care. And as always, please... As always, please, enjoy your football.